You're listening to the Cool Collaborations Podcast, a podcast about success in collaboration, where we hear about collaboration successes from around the world, and we'll look into what made those collaborations work. I'm your host, Scott Miller. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode number 19 of the Cool Collaborations Podcast. As we close in on the summer, I wanted to let you know that after the next episode, that is episode number 20, I'll be pausing the podcast until the fall. This gives me a little bit of time to refresh and renew and figure out what I'd like to present to you guys in the fall. Now, this episode is actually a repeat. I wanted to go back to the beginning and replay my very first conversation with Stephanie Roy McCallum. Now, I've had some pretty cool conversations in the 17 episodes between now and that very first conversation, but I have to say I am really impressed and amazed at how deep my conversation with Steph goes. I know you'll enjoy listening to this great conversation again, and as always, I'll see you on the flip side. Morning, Steph. How are you? Good morning, Scott. I'm good. How are you? I'm fantastic, and I'm so grateful to be having this discussion with you today. I'm really looking forward to getting into some of the insights and experience that you can share. And I'm kind of looking, for, I'm really looking forward to this. So let's, let's just kick it off with sort of a simple introduction. Like how would, how would you introduce yourself to somebody new, to somebody you hadn't met yet? What's, what's your kind of go-to two-minute speech on yourself? That's a good question, Scott, because, you know, they always call it, you should have your elevator speech ready, but I don't really have an elevator speech. So (laughs) my title is uh, Chief Storm Rider. And that title was given to me from a friend who is German, actually. And I guess there's a word in German, which I couldn't pronounce if my life depended on it, that basically refers to someone who rides the storm. And so when I was building my company, she said to me, well, that's what you do. That's what you should call yourself because you ride the storm of high emotion and you ride it out to clearer skies. So that's what my title is. But I guess what I do is build leadership capacity in people, in organizations and communities to talk together about the hardest issues that we face in our lives. So with that sort of title as a storm rider and that high emotion, what's if um, you were talking to that same new person and, and giving an example of what what you do what do you have a go-to example that you you point to to say well here's a good example of the kind of work you're describing yeah well so i don't think i have a go-to example of a project say that fits that but i do have go-to moments and so i think what i'm doing is is creating the space where people can come together and talk about things that can't come together. And so I guess it's about go-to moments, really. Right. Um, And so a a go-to moment is this project I worked on a few years ago where between an indigenous community and a provincial power company. And when we first visited the community to figure out, you know, what was the conflict about and how did they see moving things forward, people said to us, well, you can't bring people together to talk about this. It's too painful. People are too upset. No one will come together and talk about this as a group. You'll have to talk to them one-on-one. And then you fast forward 18 months later, and there are 500 community members in a school gym 
having these conversations, talking about their challenges and their hopes and how they've been affected and impacted. And and the local community priest came up to me and said, you know, it's great we got some results on this project, but the best thing that we really did was help people see that they can talk together and find unity and common ground. And for me, that's the go-to moment when people feel fully seen, when they fully see someone else, and we move from, you know, dehumanizing hurtful comments to this deeper understanding. So those are the go-to moments I live for. Those are the go-to moments of why I do this work. So did you end up using a kind of a, an individual, starting individually and moving to a group? Or did it, did it take a different path than that? When, I'm just thinking when people come to you and say, well, you can't do this, you have to do it individually. Do they resist? I'm, I'm assuming you didn't, you obviously didn't start with 500 people in a room. Yeah, yeah, no. But I'm assuming you got a point where it sort of got a little momentum and then people wanted to be in the room. Yeah, yeah. Well, so we did both, really. We took the advice of the community because they know best. They said, you need to talk to people one-on-one. So we talked to people one-on-one, but we kept holding the space for whoever wanted to come to come. So at the first sort of large group gatherings, we had like three people <laughs> and then we had six people and then we had 12 people. And so that we did both things in parallel, built individual trust and that trust started to transfer to people being willing to take a chance to come together and talk about things. Oh, so it's a, it kind of grew organically inside the community then. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. It's a good way of putting it. That's, I mean, it seems like that's a, that's a, just a really natural feeling approach so that the community itself doesn't feel like it's it's being put upon like they're creating the the spread of the message sounds like mhm yeah yeah absolutely well i i'm a really firm believer that people have the answers right they are you know naturally creative resourceful and whole and that the answer for you know what they want and how to move this conflict forward and what they need is within them and if we just create the space and build a little bit of trust in some relationships, then that will naturally emerge from the conversation. So how do how do people react when when you tell that story? Like if you're if you're telling somebody new about something about yourself, do they get it in air quotes? Do they understand right away kind of what why that's a go-to moment? I think so. I think so because oftentimes I preface it with the what it was like before. So blockades and protests and a community in in the grip of conflict between them and and this company to this space of the community talking together and being really clear about what they need and then talking with the company too. So I think when you see the shift, that's where the opportunity really lies is in the shift and in the change. And I think people see that they can feel it for themselves because lots of times when you watch the news or someone tells you about a conflict we go right to the place like oh well that can never be fixed or that's intractable or there's no way to move forward so so this is where you are today how did you get to this point like did you did you start off as you know in your teens or preteens going okay this is what i want to do or was what was the journey to get to here for you Oh, I wish I could say like when I was in kindergarten, I, you know, knew what I wanted to be when I grew up and it was this, but I I didn't even know it was a job to be really honest. So I guess the path that took me to here goes, I think, back to who I am versus what I learned. And I can tell you what I learned, like leadership and coaching and facilitation and community engagement and conflict transformation and all of those things. But I think it's more about 
what I believe and what I'm committed to. And then I got the skills I needed to, to support the things I'm committed to and believe in the world. So as an example of that, my extended family is in Texas and I grew up spending lots of vacations and summers in Dallas, Texas. And my grandfather was a pretty hardcore Republican and he used to call me the pinko of the family, which is the <laughs> 1950s term for communist. <laughs> and, you know, that's lovely. But I, one of the things I learned at a really early age is that you can totally disagree with someone and be in a loving relationship with them. Like at a fundamental level, you can believe different things. And so that's a, it's a lesson I have kind of carried through my whole life. Like we can disagree and still move forward together. And so, so based on that, it's always the spaces where there was something that wasn't being said or some conversation that really needed to be unpacked or the spaces of conflict that called me. And so I went and found skills to, to support that work, you know, like, that pinko comment has always applied. I I am deeply committed to making sure people's voices are heard, that there's equity and fairness and justice in the space. And so I just happened to find, got, get lucky enough to find a career that allowed me to, you know, live that thing I believe. So do you think that's a commonality amongst people who work in, in a collaborative space or in a, I would say a high emotion space too, but you know, working to build connections between people that there's a bit of a common thread there and that the beliefs around uh, equity and fairness and, and make building people up as opposed to tearing them down. Is that, would you, would you agree with that kind of a, an assessment? I think so. You know, like in all, I've been doing this work for 26 years. I hate that every year I have to add a year. And um, so, so, but I've been doing this work for a long time. And I think of other people who I've come across, like you, who do this work, who come at it, you know, with this faith in humanity, with this love of people, with this, you know, belief in fairness and equity and inclusion. I think that's true for so many people doing this work. They're really motivated by the the what can happen when we have the conversation mm. and and what they want to you know create in that conversation yeah the the, the possibility that comes and that emerges i guess from from the discussions with people from different perspectives different backgrounds is is amazing i think that's what i sense from your example uh, with the high outrage community is that people come mm -hmm. they rely on people like you to show them the possibility of what it means to come together. And then they do the rest of the work in a way mm -hmm. because they may not see the possibility right out of the, right out of the, out of the gate. Yeah. I think that's such a good way of putting it, Scott, a really good way of putting it. Like I, I believe that no one's born knowing how to have these conversations. So, you know, we need support to build our capacity and our skills and knowledge and the ways we show up to have the conversations. But once we do know that everything changes, right? Our ability to solve the problems in our lives totally increases. And I always think I've done my job. I've done my job well, if people think they did it themselves, because all I do is just create the space, right? Ask the right questions, create the kind of container for the conversation, and then it's up to them. So yeah, I kind of want to switch switch gears or switch directions a little bit, I guess. We're been talking about 
a little bit of your background and how you've gotten to here, but I'm curious because I'm my focus is on kind of really, as the podcast title might allude to, is cool collaborations and the possibilities that come about because of of people collaborating. But I wanted to start off by asking what what does collaboration mean to you? Mm. Like how does it show up? Yeah. Well, first I think it's a feeling and an experience of possibility like of opening up. So both opening your mind and opening your heart. And I think sometimes people use the word collaboration. It's a pretty overused word in a lot of sectors because they think if we collaborate, and you can't see me right now, but I'm using air quotes. Um, if we collaborate, then we'll get agreement. And I think actually real collaboration isn't necessarily focused on agreement, although that's a bonus. If you come to that, it's more about alignments like deep inclusion, acceptance, connection, understanding, like that thing, that possibility that really happens when people really see each other and they're really in the space. And so all of that sounds really sort of, you know, like peaceful and loving. But I also (laughs) think another thing that's crucial to collaboration is some rule breaking, like some creativity some shaking up the status quo, just enough conflict and diversity and tension to feed creativity and innovation. Like otherwise, we're just a bunch of people who sit are sitting around thinking the same. So I think that is for me really crucial in as a as an element or an ingredient to collaboration. So all those things together, I think, make up collaboration. So uh, I think you you've described exactly how I I think about. Uh, collaboration is that it's actually a couple, you know, three points or three pieces of, you know, you, you have to be there to achieve something and you obviously have to have a group of people, but that creativity, that innovation piece is also critical. Otherwise, you know, a bunch of people raking the lawn is collaboration. It's, right. It's, <laughs> you, know, you know, it's, uh, it's about, I was going to say harvesting, but it's about harnessing actually the experience of the people in new ways to solve some kind of a problem. And then that speaks to a question I was going to ask around getting the, I guess, the right people in the room. So you talked about having different perspectives. I think oftentimes we miss having the right people in the room and because we're, we're afraid of them or we're afraid of a perspective or we're afraid of the conflict. Is, is that something you've seen a lot of? Yeah. Or, you know, it sounds like you've kind of had, had to deal with the back end of that where it's too late. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's a hesitancy sometimes to put people who think differently than us in the conversation because it's people don't know what will happen. Like uh, clients, I'll just name it. Oftentimes clients don't know what will happen. And so they're uncomfortable with the idea that they can't control or manage what might get said or where things might go. Or they're prepared to do that, but only in sort of a representative way, right? Like we'll, if it comes from a, if you're looking for a perspective from racialized people, or if you're looking for a perspective from people of a particular socioeconomic bracket, or you're looking for perspective from people in different sectors, right? So they'll take a token number, or I'll just, we'll just pick one or two of those people. And then we'll go with everybody else we're comfortable with. But that's not real collaboration to me. That's more tokenism than it is collaboration. And oftentimes, if you're limiting the diverse perspectives, they get drowned out or you have power imbalances that are you have to work really hard to level. 
you know, and people stay in their assumptions and their biases rather than, you know, having their eyes opened wide or their hearts open wide because they've learned something new. So I think to the best of our ability, we need to advocate for, you know, new and different voices in there because we're blind to so many things just because of you only know your own story and your own experience. And so you need, we need to open up those conversations so that we're collectively learning. You know, it's, it's almost like we need to, to look at it through the lens of the ideas as opposed to the people when we're designing these things. So we're looking for, mm-hmm. and, and as soon as you sort of take that lens, I, I'm kind of making this up on the fly. It, it kind of spins it towards more people as opposed to less. Yeah. You know, to a diversity as opposed to to the status quo or the same the same old people that show up at every every public meeting or every meeting. So yes, yes, absolutely, yeah, just shifting the conversation. So you focused your work on sort of enabling brave, honest conversations. So how does how do you kind of link the collaboration concepts that we're talking about to that work? I mean, it might seem it seems a little bit. Uh, like it's an obvious connection, but I kind of wanted to explore your thinking on how the two are connected. Mm-hmm. Well, I think they're they're deeply connected, and then there's also differences. So, like the deep connections part are about the possibility and the space that we're trying to invite. I think one of the differences, and it's not a it's not a an absolute difference, but in my work, I spend enormous amount of time and energy getting clear about leadership. And what it means to lead those conversations versus facilitate or moderate them. So from a leadership perspective, I believe that, you know, leaders stand for something and they stand up for something where often facilitators or moderators are focused on neutrality. And I, you can't see me again, but I got the air quotes going. <laughs> and so, <laughs> so I'm really firm believer that there's no such thing as neutrality and that in order to lead really difficult conversations, we need to be really clear on what we are committed to. We are committed to inclusion, to fairness, to everyone having a voice, to respect or, you know, civil discourse, whatever it is. That's what you need to stand in when you lead. Not to say that you don't do those things when you facilitate, but the leadership piece about growing your own authentic leadership to me is core to brave, honest conversations, partly because when I talk about brave, honest conversations, invariably, they're for the really hard things, whereas I think collaboration can be for hard things and also for really beautiful things. Like you could collaborate to come up with a vision and a mission, or you can collaborate to come up with a strategic plan, whereas we don't do a lot of brave, honest conversations to do those two things. So I think that's a, that's a difference, too. I mean, although you could have a brave, honest conversation about how much you love someone or, you know, like to support, you know, a loved one as they ease into death, those are brave, honest conversations. And those are beautiful ones too. But oftentimes my work is in hard conversations that make people a little bit afraid. So I think that's the biggest difference. But the what we hold and what we try and create, I think is very similar and very, very much in alignment. It seems to me that this notion of not being neutral about Taking yourself, putting yourself in the in the conversation, putting having some skin in the game. I mean, now I'm using air quotes. Yeah. <laughs> um, is is kind of at odds with the sort of the traditional training that facilitators and moderators and and these types of folks have, 
is this something that that you see kind of missing in the whole I guess spectrum of training for well both leaders but also the people who facilitate and moderate like would we have better moderators and facilitators if they stepped into that space more into the leadership what you're calling the leadership space yeah i i think so i think very much so you know to me one of the biggest examples so i i've been i was trained as a facilitator i'm a certified professional facilitator but i I think the emphasis on neutrality or in meeting your your clients' needs is quite in conflict to being a leader and especially a leader of these conversations. You're in service to the people in the conversation versus the, you know, whatever your client has handed you or this idea that you don't have any bias. We all have bias, every single one of us. And so making evident and naming that bias is crucially important in a conversation. But in addition to that, I think like one of the things that the recent Black Lives Matter protests have really brought up for me is all these signs. My One of my um, kids marched in a protest and carried a sign saying, um, silence is violence. And when you are a facilitator, oftentimes there, you know, if people say hateful or racist things, those conversations get shut down by a facilitator. Now, I just want to, I don't want this to be the quote that goes around the world and that I'm suggesting that we should have conversations where people say hateful and racist things. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is we need to be able to step into those conversations and recognize the impact they're having and the harm they are doing and take the people who are saying those things along with us, which means I think we need to be really clear that what we're committed to is the having of the hard conversation. And we are committed to inclusion or surfacing those biases, which is different than facilitating, I think. You know, oftentimes you're focused on the the objective or the goals of the session. So they can they can be aligned, but this leadership piece means you show up in a particular way because you you believe something and you lean into your own authentic strengths. I guess I don't know if I've talked myself around in circles there or if I've answered your question. <laughs> <laughs> well, it I, what I'm taking from that is that to work in that in a leadership space as you're in in the facilitated leadership space, call it that for a moment. It's it's about living and understanding your own values and then making sure that you show up in alignment with those values or, and your beliefs so that the two are together, that that's how you, you're you evident to everybody in the room and you bring people into that space with you versus sort of just detaching yourself like a, the purveyor of a process. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Versus I'm, you're in it. You're, you're in that discussion. You're not just sort of a, an outsider referee. That's right. Because, and so I just want to add to that, Scott, because that, that's absolutely, you've named the distinction. And when you're in it, when you're in that discussion, then it matters more to you, but you also show up as a whole person. And when you show up as a, as a human being and a whole person versus, you know, someone in a particular role, you invite others to do the same. And I think that's crucial to our most difficult conversations that we see each other as human beings and we connect on that level versus seeing each other as roles. Right. So is your, your focus is, well, you tend to focus a lot on bravery and courage when you're talking about stepping into that conversation or stepping, being present in the conversation as opposed to outside it, is that how you're defining or 
illustrating bravery and courage is being able to be in the conversation or is it something different? Well, I think I think that's one aspect of it for sure. The ability to step in and stay in those hard conversations, you know, the conversations that make you feel a little like you're going to throw up or like your knees are shaking. But I think we I think we have a bit of a false definition of courage in the world. You know, there's always those, you know, you see people with those t-shirts that say fear less and, you know, like as if there is nothing to be afraid of. Um, I think it's about actually just owning your own fear. So I do this work and there are countless times I am afraid, but I always ask myself, what am I committed to more than my fear? And that, that to me is a a huge part of it, this work. Of course, you're afraid. You're a human being. It's scary to go in when you, you know, a conversation or a, or a situation where you have no idea how things are going to go or how you're going to be seen or whether you're going to be successful. But I think courage is a catalyst. It's a catalyst that allows the shift to happen. So I think I talked earlier when you asked me, what's my, you know, go-to story? Well, my go-to moments, they're all a result of courage that create a shift from closed to open, from disconnected to connected, from misunderstood to deep understanding. That's courage creates that shift. And that shift is made possible when we show up, I said, as human beings, but actually when we show up vulnerable and open-hearted and we risk being wrong and we risk failing, but we show up because we're committed to the other people in the conversation and the faith that we can have that discussion. So courage is kind of messy and vulnerable and risky. And it's, I think, the path to connection and relationship and trust. I've heard courage, uh, just recently, I've heard courage described as knowing something is going to be hard or that will cause fear. You, you know these things that they're going to cause be challenging and you're going to be afraid, but you'd go ahead and do them anyway. And and that sort of by showing up that way with your with a group, that becomes the catalyst as you're as you're uh, describing it, and then things move from there. So it's I think that's an interesting way of looking at it. That it it just sort of speaks to your values too. So it's I can sort of see all these pieces that we're discussing sort of connecting together. Does it always show up that way for you? Like, is it have you? Well, I was kind of trying to stay away from things where they things had gone wrong, but it's hard to stay in that space. Be courage courageous all the time. Would you say? It is. You know, and things always go wrong because there's not a straight path, I think, in, you know, you're dealing with human beings. And so everything is unpredictable. So things do go wrong and it's hard to stay in that space. But I think I've learned over the years, and I, it's a thing I keep relearning that to do this work, right? To do the, you know, invite collaboration and really, you know, have people see each other and be seen you have to take care of yourself. You have to build your own resilience because um, I always say that, you know, it's important to hold space, but if you don't put the space down at some point, it gets really heavy, which, you know, I just, you know, you think about that, you have to put it down and recover so that you can go back and do it again. Do you have any sort of specific practices that you do? Is it a, something you do to, to take care of yourself? Is it a specific routine or anything like that? Well, I have, you know, kind of a, a list of things I can dip into that feed different parts of myself that kind of bring me back to myself. So I really like to spend time in nature. That kind of strips everything away. Physical exercise, like riding my bike or going for a long walk or paddleboarding, those things do the same thing. Meditation and journaling, they reconnect me to myself. 
time with family. So just things that I notice if I'm not doing any of those things, I become a little bit more tense and a little bit more closed and a little bit less able to kind of step forward with a really open heart. So I, I watch that. So I watch that kind of closed in feeling happening and then know I need to dip into some of those things to bring me back. I, I also do uh, some of the very same things to reconnect. Although it seems these days that uh, my time with nature involves mowing the lawn. So I'm not sure if, I'm not sure if that counts or not. <laughs> I don't think that counts, Scott. No. Uh, oh, okay. Well, I'll have to work a little harder on that piece. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I was kind of curious if you could describe maybe a time when you've been involved with a collaborative effort. And, and maybe it's the same one you, you mentioned earlier, you're one of your go-to moments, but where collaboration came together in a, in a really unique way or it was extra successful. And what would you point to as kind of the, the success factor in that? Um, maybe I'll, I'll offer a different story. When you asked that question, I just thought of something different. So a number of years ago, I did a project that brought together women who have been abused sexually or physically or emotionally abused together to kind of map out a path for what services and um, what structures needed to be in place to support them. And so it was a room full of probably 200 women. And in the lead up to that day-long conversation, I worked with a, a group, of, a steering committee, a group of women who volunteered to help plan it so that it would be, you know, really successful. And so when, when we talked about success, we talked about um, safety, what creates a safe space. And in particular for these women, what would create a safe space? So for example, one of the rules that the, that the group came up with is that there would be no men in the space. And that's not to say that every man is bad or guilty of abuse, but the feeling was that for these women, the majority of them had been abused by a man. And so so just respecting and honoring that request was important. And then when we, we asked ourselves like, what would make this day successful, I think primary in our minds was that there would be a space that allowed for connection and understanding and some trust and relationships. And then once that was present, then we could come up with a list of resources and structural changes and supports that were needed. Because our, our feeling was that when we brought these women together, they would need to share and they would need to you know, be seen and they would need to see each other before they could get to, well, here's what I need to be different. And so that to me is successful because it's about people first. It's about the human beings and whatever it is that they need. And then the issue that they need to address. And in that order, I think really matters. I think that, uh, I mean, I'm hopeful that the feeling of success was shared by the people in the room. I mean, there was singing and there was dancing and there was a circle at the end and, you know, enormous amounts of sharing. So the feeling and experience was full of possibility and also acknowledgement and honoring of what people had been through and were continuing to go through. So that's successful to me. That's, that's a really powerful story because the part that's resonating a lot with me is the people first, then the issue. Uh, because it's that, I, and I would entirely agree that it's the connections between the people that, from which everything else comes. In many cases, where where I've been in a room with you know a bunch of different people, and I've been kind of um, 
regret, not, not regretting, but kind of uh, anxious about going into the room and you come out of it at the end. And sometimes it's, you know, months later when you've met a few times, you've got new friends <laughs> from people in the room that you, you didn't go in thinking those, that that was going to happen. And I'm often, I'm often challenged with trying to describe how collaboration can be of benefit or of value before you've ever done it. Like some leaders will ask that uh, in advance to say, well, you, you want me to do this collaborative process. What's in it for me? And you can't, it's very difficult to tell them in advance. How do you handle that? That kind of a resistance, I guess. Well, I guess I, I guess I approach it like if you want the results that you want, right? You want a list of resources or the change that should happen or new structural supports. If that's what you're looking for as a result, the only path to that is through relationship and connection. And that takes time. That's often how I deal with the resistance. Like if you want to get what you want, then we have to create the conditions for that to happen. And you can't get there without the conditions. I also try and work with leaders who are, you know, under pressure to get results and under pressure to, you know, meet their bosses, you know, demands or expectations. If they were going to be in this conversation and they were a participant, what would make it successful for them? And invariably, it comes back to that trust and that understanding and those kinds of things. And so as soon as you get out of your, oh, these are all the things we need to do to wait, I'm a human being, this is what I need in order to be in this conversation, that often creates the shift too. Has there been somebody who's been really influential uh, in your world to, to sort of take you, well, steer you in this direction, in, the, in this collaboration space? Well, I think that there's some big names of uh, people who've written books or um, really influenced the direction or the thinking in my career. So people like Harrison Owen and Otto Sharmer, Parker Palmer, uh, Pema Chodron, Peter Coleman, like people who are really thinking deeply about what does it take to hold the space so we can see each other and, and talk about these things. But there's real life leaders navigating this space too and doing it so exceptionally beautifully. Some of them like Jacinda Ardern, the prime minister of New Zealand, or Andrew Cuomo, who the, you know, the New York governor during the COVID pandemic, just beautifully holding the space for humanity and, you know, making mistakes and taking it, being accountable and inviting people to be kind. And Mayor Lisa Helps of the city of Victoria, who who believes that, you know, with an open heart, we can talk about anything in a community and solve problems. So real life leaders, and not that the people who wrote those books are not real life leaders, <laughs> but, you know, they're a little, you you see fewer video clips of them. Maybe that's it. Right. <laughs> so, but their work is, is transformational if, to me anyways, in this space. Sounds like there's quite a spectrum then of influence that kind of keeps you going, keeps you motivated, empowered, that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So I, I'd like to just maybe wrap up with just a couple of rapid fire kind of questions uh, off, off the top of your head. I only have a couple of them. Sure. But I'm curious, if you were to suggest a book, what book would you suggest that everybody should read or that's maybe on your reading list right now? I'll give you two. One is an older one, Healing the Heart of Democracy by Parker Palmer. And the one I'm actually reading right now is White Fragility. And I'm not, for the life of me, going to remember the author's name. Robin DeAngelo, I think that's her. It's 
called White Fragility. So those are those are two. One I'm just starting, I'm just in the middle of, and one which is a treasure I go back to all the time. <laughs> yes, I, I have a, a bookshelf full of the, those go-to treasures. And I have not uh, I've not read this Healing the Heart book, but I will be looking it up. Yeah, it's a good one. It's a really good one. Yeah. And what would you say you're not very good at? Oh, Scott, so many things. It's astonishing how many things I really am. <laughs> Not good at. Is there a top of the list? <laughs> uh, two, okay, two things. Top of the list. One is, um, you know, having been through the pandemic and countless months at home. Um, every time I have a time period at home, I think I'll take up crafts. Turns out I have spent a lifetime being horrible at crafts. So um, it's not my forte. I am not a crafter, but I always like the idea of crafting. But nothing ever turns out well. And I guess the other thing is details. I am a big picture thinker and I have a really, a really hard time with like the weeds and the details and the, you know, the kind of grains of sand in the sandbox. And yet they're crucial to, you know, to doing this work well. So I'm grateful that I have, you know, colleagues and collaborators and people on my team I can reach out to for that. To to dive to the details. Yeah. Yeah. I want to say thank you very much for joining me today. This is been a fantastic conversation. I actually wish we could keep going and talk more about some of the, the pieces you mentioned, you know, in even more detail. But uh, we're, we're out of time for today. So thank you for your discussion and your conversation and your insights today. Is there a way that people can get a hold of you if they wanted to, you know, connect with you? Yeah, absolutely. They can go to bravelylead.com and and you can contact me from there or they can also go to a new leadership program I've just launched called Brave Spark Leadership. Same thing, bravesparkleadership.com and they can find me in either of those places. So listening to that conversation again and I still feel it as a fabulous conversation. So much of what Steph is talking about relates to who you are as a person and how that contributes to you being a good collaborator. Right at the beginning, Steph speaks to the realization that you can disagree with somebody and still have a good relationship with them. But when we think about how the world is working today, it seems that that insight is so often lost. She says, nobody is born knowing how to have these conversations. But once we do know, everything changes. I think that speaks so much to the sentiment of this entire podcast series, which is intended to bring stories of good collaboration and collaboration success to people so that they can understand what's possible in a collaborative world. Thank you so much, Steph, for sharing your light in this conversation and helping us all become better collaborators. Now, these are the kinds of conversations that I think we need more of the kind that let us see what's possible when we work together. If you agree, you can do one little thing to help out. Subscribe to the podcast and share it with your friends. Okay, well, technically that's two things, but still, they're easy and quick, and they're so very much appreciated. One more episode before the break for summer. Until then, happy collaborating. You've been listening to Cool Collaborations. Please make sure you visit collaboration-dynamics.com where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes, in Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to sign up for our mailing list so interesting things like blog posts, upcoming training, or collaboration tips and tricks can come to your inbox. If you like what you heard, I'd be grateful for a rating in Apple Podcasts. Of course, if you'd like to just tell a friend about the show, that would be great too. Check out the show notes for links and contact information. 
Until the next episode, thanks and happy collaborating.